morning, everyone. I am Chris. This is my wife, Melissa. We've been married now for about 10 years. Uh, we have a daughter, Macy, who's five years old, uh, son, Reed, who is three. Um, Chris and I met actually in middle school at youth group, and I thought he was the cutest thing. And he kept telling me that he was from this place called Borculo. And I was like, what's a Borculo? Is this a weird joke? Um, but it's a place, and we live there now. <laughs> um, we went to church together really ever since we met. Um, we did the youth group thing. We did the mission trip thing. We got married at the church that we met at. Um, and just so you know, I'm a teacher, so I have lesson plans and notes, so I'm sorry, but I need it. And, and I forgot to say, Chris is a builder, too. We do things other than just talk about each ourselves. Um, so we got married at the church uh, that we met at, and we were super comfortable there, right? Like, we, we just felt comfortable. And after we had Macy, um, something started stirring inside of us. And we started asking some of these questions like, are we supposed to feel comfortable at church? Like, is that what God wants from us? And slowly that feeling of comfort kind of morphed into this idea of craving conviction. Like we wanted to feel convicted, not comfortable anymore. And so after a lot of prayer and a lot of thought, uh, we decided to completely step out of our comfort zone and just go and kind of seek what it meant to have a faith-based community um, and really find out what it means for us in our own story to, to be a part of the, the family of Christ. Um, so after having Macy, we did this, and um, we spent about nine months kind of asking questions and studying and pushing each other and being pushed by others. And then last spring, uh, the spring of 2017, um, we felt this um, push to continue this, this journey, and we really were hoping to find a place at a church. Um, we were wondering, are we ever going to have a God moment, you know, like in our comfort, did we miss it? You know, everyone talks about that, that moment where they felt God and we were just worried that we missed our chance. Um, that spring, the season of discovery, as far as faith is concerned, I was absolutely ridden with anxiety. Um, I would have nightmares all the time about our children being hurt, injured, taken, um, complete irrational fears. And even to the point when we would go out for dinner and come home, on the way home, I was like, okay, was I watching the kids enough? Could Reed have gotten hit by a car, even though we were in the patio that had the gate? You know, all these things. It was just consuming me. And um, Chris was wonderful and reassuring, but, you know, I didn't believe him. And so... <laughs> One day, um, I was at work in the midst of this season, and this sweet young man who was a substitute teacher of ours, who was just this bubbly, smiley guy that just walked around with a ukulele, for real, around, like bringing his class around with a ukulele, came in with the most serious face I had ever seen of him, and no ukulele. And he said, Melissa, I need to talk to you. And his face alone made me stop everything. And he sat down and he said, Melissa, I don't know if this is going to sound weird to you, but sometimes God speaks to me. And last night he spoke to me about you. Can I share that with you? Um, 
And I thought in my head, oh my, this is the moment. This is that God moment that we've been thinking about. So I sat down, of course, and he said, I don't know all of the details, but God said to me last night, you're doing a good job, mom. He knows that you've been having these irrational fears. I don't know what they are, but he wants you to put them to rest because he's got you and he's got them, them being my kids. And he's got them because really they're his. And I said, okay. (laughs) And he left. And I was left with that. And so I knew that that was the first God moment that I had ever had because you don't, you, you, you can't explain the feeling that you have. And his words hung over me for days because this sweet ukulele playing guy became this vessel that God was using to speak to me. And I needed to rest in that and digest that. A few weeks after that, as I was still trying to understand and make peace with what he said, we were beginning to wrap up the school year. And um, I was in charge of doing a color run fundraiser for all three schools. And we had a lot of things to do. But the first thing that I needed to do before we did the color run was plant my hydrangeas because at our house, we take landscaping very seriously. So before I could do, did you just point at me? Before I could do any color run anything, I needed to finish the bark that was on this trailer, unloading that and get the hydrangeas in the ground. And so Chris was at work and Reed was eating chalk on the driveway and Macy was, you know, playing around. And I went to put the shovel into the ground to um, start the hydrangea, you know, hole. And this um, trailer was was locked the ramp was locked in an upright position and if you guys meet our daughter she's wonderfully and overwhelmingly curious and she somehow had managed to get both sides of this trailer unlocked and all of a sudden all I heard was a scream I looked over at her as she was trying to hold this how how heavy was that probably like 75 pounds from falling onto her and it came crashing down on top of her head. Um, that steel uh, bottom that you see on the ground was uh, came down on the top of her head and her, the back of her skull crashed into the cement. And I still look at this trailer and I replay that image in my mind. And so I was all by myself Um, All of our parents were gone. Um, All of our neighbors were gone. I didn't know what to do. So I ran over to the trailer. I threw it up. I caught it on my back. I held Macy's head in between my hands. And I said, Macy, Macy, what's my name? And she just said some sounds. I mean, her eyes were rolling in the back of her head. And the first thing that I thought was, where's the blood? There's... This is way too much to have happened to have there not be blood. There's blood somewhere. This is not good. So I managed to get a hold of my brother, my little brother, and he was able to come over, and I was just trying to keep Macy awake. And I was still thinking, even as he came over, that he was going to stay with Reed and I was going to drive Macy to the hospital. It's crazy what your mind does (laughs) irrationally when you're in moments like that. And I just said, she just needs a popsicle. Keep her awake. Call Chris. Yeah, at this point, he had, I received a call from her. And I was at the airport in Zealand working on a house. And literally all she said was, 
Macy had an accident. She has a concussion and hung up the phone. I'm like, okay. Uh, turned the guy I was working with, said, I gotta leave. Got home as fast as I could, not really knowing what the situation was yet at this point, but thankfully her wonderful brother had the sense to calm her down and rationalize with her, and he had called an ambulance. So as I was pulling in the driveway, the first responder was right behind me. Um, and it's, it's kind of amazing how God does things, because that first responder was a friend of mine, his brother from Bork Hill Christian. So to see his face was reassuring, but then he said that we would have to give Macy to him so he could take care of her. And in that point, having to release control was probably one of the hardest things for us. We had to put it in his hands and in God's hands at that point because there was nothing else we could do. He took her, got her on monitors, and said, she's on monitors now, you have to have faith, which was very hard. And at this point, all the EMTs, the ambulances, the cop cars, the fire trucks, everything was pulling up. Cops were making us go through the situation. What happened with the trailer? You can explain that better. Yeah, so I had to really just kind of tell the cops what happened, and it wasn't until he asked me to show him with the trailer um, that it all became real to me. I lifted now with my, my hands the trailer, and it was so heavy I began to shake. And I dropped the trailer down because I was shaking, and the sound just made everything click, that this was not good, um, that my four-year-old um, was just underneath this. And so I started to panic. And it was like in a movie when they like slap you across the face and say like, get it together. He didn't hit me, but he was like, you need to get it together because you need to be there for your daughter. And I said, okay, all right. So they said, we have room for one of you in the ambulance. Mom, we want you to go. Dad, you have to drive yourself. And I still to this day don't know how he did it. And I still, at this point in this situation, was thinking we were going to go to, to Zealand, um, Zealand Hospital. So when he turned right out of my driveway and started heading towards Grand Rapids, I was like, what are you doing? Where are we going? This whole time, Macy has been vomiting and vomiting and vomiting and vomiting in and out of consciousness, not talking. And this is the girl that does not stop talking, I promise you. And so as we're heading down M45, the EMT is working on her, you know, helping to get the puke out of her um, mouth because she's going to choke on it if he doesn't. And Chris is driving himself all alone, not knowing what's going on. And in the back of that ambulance, I just closed my eyes. And I said, Lord, equip me. Whatever that means, equip me. If I'm going to have a daughter with massive head injuries for the rest of her life, equip me. And at the same time, in the same breath, I said, and if I just need to be a mama to read and read only, equip me. The EMT grabbed my hand and he said, can we just pray? And that's when I thought, she's gone. She's going to die. So we got to DeVos Children's Hospital underground. I don't really know how it all happened. And they had this whole beautiful team of people prepared for us. Again, I'm by myself. Chris's poor guy still trying to figure out where to go and where to park and all the things. And the social worker brings me into this room that is truly like an episode of ER. Can I say that now? Good doctor. ER is kind of old. Um, and they had this whole team of people that were ready to just take care of me, see? And so the social worker was with me. 
and we have this this joke in our family my mom actually started it like in the winter especially if you're gonna leave the house make sure you're wearing underwear because if you get in a car accident you don't want to be the one that's not wearing underwear like if they have to do work on you or whatever and so I'm watching my daughter who's in a um, neck brace at this time getting her clothes cut off of her to hook up to all of these machines and gosh darn it all she wasn't wearing underwear and I was like this is what we're talking about so in that moment underwear just brought us some humor and just let us exhale for a second and you can show the next picture Doug she still had not spoken in this moment um, she has crazy curly hair, and um, she she had not said a word since she um, kept saying to Chris in the driveway, I just want to go to sleep. I just want to go to sleep. I hate this picture so much, but I love it because it shows how good our God is. From this moment, Chris walked into the room, finally finding us. Do you want to talk about that or no? Like she said, it was like an episode of ER. Um, everybody there, and I had happened to grab what looked to me like a rag, but it's got a little elephant head on it, and she's had it since the day she was born. It's her favorite thing in the world, and <clears throat> I managed to find it and grab it and take it with me, and I brought it into her, puke-covered and all, and I was going to set it by her, and I put it on her chest, and she kind of leans over to it and goes, get this away from me. It's disgusting. It smells disgusting, and that was the, she hadn't talked in almost two hours, or been even conscious, and in the midst of that, she was able to say something like that, so the reassurance was back, but then after that, it was a state of unconsciousness for 12, 14 hours, um, test after test, CAT scans, everything to find out at that point that she then had um, a skull fracture and a bleed on her brain. So from there, they moved us up into a room which was a low sensitivity room where the blinds were shut, lights were down. They said, with this type of head injury, she just needs to rest. You, no visitors in the room. You guys need to be quiet. No ringing phones. Um, so we spent the rest of the night in this room, um, more vomiting. Every time they'd try to give her fluids, even through an IV, she would vomit. Um, until the next morning, when we woke up and I was in and out of the, the room and as I'd go in and out of the room I just noticed there had been more and more people congregating in the um, waiting room and you know our phones were getting texts from people we didn't know, emails from people we didn't know, phone calls from who knows and there's just people congregating praying all night and then we wake up the next morning and all of a sudden she just kind of pops up and Macy does and says dad you want to play the rhyming game and I'm like yeah sure let's play the rhyming game we didn't know she knew how to rhyme had no clue and we had been working on it a little bit but she just wasn't getting it it was like yellow and crayon was a rhyme to her so now all of a sudden she's wanting to rhyme and she's nailing it words after words after words and we're just like what is going on um, so nurses have come back in. They have results from CAT scans and other tests that they had done, and they're going to start doing, you know, the neurology test and checking her reading and her sight and, and her cognitive test. And they had already, at this point, based off of what the injuries were and what they already knew, they had started put together a packet for long-term therapy. 
sight, sight, speech, because they kind of have seen the situation before and they know what was going to happen. They started running the test, and the, finally the nurse or the doctor had come in with the packet after all the nurses and all the other doctors had come through, and he said, I have this packet ready, but every test I've come back with is telling me I'm throwing it away. And we're like, okay. He's like, we've run the final CAT scan on her, and the bleed on the brain has completely diminished. This should have taken weeks, months, for this to slowly diminish, but it is gone. There is no, no sight of it at all. And then at this point, I had uh, received a phone call from my mom, and she said that she had been praying a very specific prayer throughout this whole thing, that God would just take his hands, lay them on her head, and just heal it. And she had said that while praying this, she was driving and she had a vision very vividly of God holding Macy's head in his hands. And at that point, it's how can you deny it that God had healed her? So after thinking we were going to have this lifelong change, we didn't know surgery, we didn't know therapy, um, Macy just blew through all of the tests, like letter recognition, doing things that even not in this state, we didn't know that she could do. And we looked back confused and, and, and silly. We shouldn't have been because God was present in every single one of those moments. Those people that just showed up, still to this day, we don't know who some of the people were that were in the waiting room. Still to this day, the texts that we received, we don't know where they came from. But every single one of those people heard something and acted on it. They had a voice, I really need to pray for the Zorhoffs. Or maybe they're cold, which we were, and someone brought us a blanket, and it was like the best thing in that 24-hour period. And so through this entire experience, we were amazed by the outpouring of people paying, paying attention to that voice, praying and showing up. They were listening to the calling that they had to reach out and to bless us in a variety of ways. Again, all of these people being God's vessels, just like that substitute teacher was to me that day. Whether it was prayer or making a blanket for us and bringing it to the hospital, the love and support and community, the God-breathed community that we experienced in that awful moment changed us forever. It showed us, it showed us what it was like to be a part of God's design for church. It was what we've been looking for for years. It inspired us to listen to that voice that tells us to step out of your comfort zone. Text that person that has been on your mind. Offer to help someone you know that is struggling. And maybe it's just showing up to pray. And do all of this with confidence because it is all God-breathed. And yet another God moment that showed us not only God is real, but that he shows up. He's in control and he has us because we are his.